millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley and alongside me this week I have Mr. David Cameron Walker. Oh no, that's right, I don't because DC has ditched us to go and take part in a football manager quiz. You'd never do that, would you, Carl? Oh no, that's right, Carl's not here either. Oh well, it's a good job I've got Adam Williams with me. No, he's at work in Reading. Oh well, Jim Knight, just me and you then, mate. He's not here either. What? For the first time in over 100 shows, it's just me, the ever-present in the studio. However, I am pleased to say that Jim might not be here, but he is on the phone. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Whereabouts are you? I'm uh, Brighton. You're in Brighton. You're having a lovely Brighton. time down there. Well, yeah. it's good of you to uh, to come on. The- How's the weather? That's the first thing you do when, when someone's away. How's Windy. The- <laughs> Windy. Okay. Windy. Right. Well, we've got Jim on, thankfully, to help me out here for the first part of the show. I'll explain why in a second. First, a quick reminder to get yourself over to audible.co.uk slash going up. Take advantage of our special offer if you haven't already. Free one-month trial and a free audio book to walk away with right now. You get to pick from 80,000 books once you sign up. You've also got the option to cancel at any time if you don't want to pay a monthly fee after the first month is over. Uh, so you can get books by Sir Alex, Ari, Sid Lowe, Neil Warnock and many more on there. Audible.co.uk slash going up. So later in the show, we're going to look back on the weekend's action uh, with DC who will hopefully be joining us on the phone on this football manager quiz I'll also be joined by Jefferson Lake football writer for the Northampton Chronicle and Echo and freelancer for the BBC and Sky he'll be on the phone to talk about uh, Northampton going rock bottom of the football league after they lost uh, late on again 1-0 to Plymouth for the weekend we'll start though at the other end of the pyramid Saturday lunchtime Vicarage Road one of the biggest games of the season so far in the championship and what a result for Leicester City Nigel Pearson's men thrash Watford 3-0 to go second in the table, just a point behind Burnley. Their best ever league start in 129 years. They're also the only football league side left in the Capital One Cup quarterfinals. How does that sound to you, Jim? It sounds great, actually, and a draw against Manchester City is just what I was hoping for as well. Can I just say, before we get stuck into this, uh, funny that DC's taken this week off, isn't it, by the yeah, way? <laughs> yeah, I think I think he times those when Watford get beaten by teams that are uh, he's going to have to get ribbed by. I think, support us, so. I think that's right. Well, we've got Jim on the line to talk about this. And first of all, let's say hello to uh, James Sharp, who's a sports writer at the Leicester Mercury. James, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, you were there at Vicarage Road on Saturday. Obviously, a very lucky opening goal, but um, in the end, a pretty comprehensive win. What did you uh, make of the performance? Yes, um, you could say the first one was quite unfortunate. But to be fair, I think that was probably, with maybe the Wigan game uh, aside, that's potentially the most complete team performance that Leicester have put on this season. There wasn't really one player who you could say had had a poor game. They all performed to 
you'd say near the top or at the top of of their game and well it, let's put it this way it was, it was more enjoyable than six months ago <laughs> well I was, I was going to say that Jim there'd been a, a lot of hype hadn't there going into uh, going into the, this match the rematch and revenge and all that kind of thing you must have been absolutely delighted with the performance that the players put in yeah I was particularly because I tipped Watford to go up as well this year so I knew that it was going to be one of our toughest games and it, I think it was one of those fixtures alongside Forest and Derby uh, that you look for on the fixture list first because you want to see, you know, wh- when do we go back to Vicarage Road to try and lay those ghosts to rest? But as James has already alluded to, it's, it was a brilliant performance. But, you know, it was a team performance. And I think that's what Nigel Pearson's been after for, you know, the last couple of months to try and get a team performance together where everyone pulls their weight. Uh, we did have a bit of luck go our way. Chris Wood's goal's not going to happen every week. But if you don't chase those balls down, you're not in the position to, you know, get the lucky deflection. So all credit to Chris Wood's come in. Uh, off the back of Jamie Vardy's injury, which is unfortunate because he's been in brilliant form and I've been kind of singing his praises a lot on the pod. Uh, he's taken his opportunity and he looked he looked solid. Um, I was I was very pleased and it's always good to get another three points on the board and put some pressure on Burnley at the top of the league. Yeah, we're just a point behind now. And James, it was slightly strange, wasn't it, the way it worked out in the fact that uh, obviously Knockart missed the penalty last season, Almunia saved it. And in this game, Almunia made the error and Knockart scored. Yeah, it was... You could say it was the, it was the journalist's dream, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. Going back and the amount of times I've written exercise demons and and redemption over the past couple of days. And I bet Halloween was good for all the, the demon stuff as well. Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, I'd said in, the, in my previous piece it's quite fitting that Leicester returned to Vicarage Road on, on the weekend of Halloween. But to be fair, I've got to say to Knockhart, he, he's a 21-year-old lad and he got dogs abuse from the moment the game started to the point that he came off the field and he dealt with that superbly it would have been easy for someone to to shy away in that situation and to kind of hide away on on the periphery and, and not want the ball and and not look to get involved as much but he, he was exactly he was or the opposite he was always looking to try and create things at, at times he was, he was even too keen but it just shows shows the character of, of him and also of of the team that, that Nigel's put together and that was something that was really really quite impressive on Saturday Jim are you, are you seeing sort of big differences from last season here yeah huge differences um, I think one of the things that, that Nigel Pearson would have been keen to do a, a bit more is, is keep a clean sheet because that's not something we've been doing with any kind of regularity even at home you know where we, we are very solid we are winning games but I think he'd want to keep teams out and we're kind of sitting deep and maybe inviting a bit too much pressure onto ourselves in the, the last 15, 20 minutes of games when you're 2-1 up. And uh, the last couple of home games, the opposition have gone down to 10 men, so it has made it a little bit easier. But there's still been a few hairy moments. You know, Kasper Schmeichel has had to make a couple of good saves. Um, so I think, yeah, that he, he will have been very pleased with that. The new centre-back pairing of, uh, of Wes Morgan and and Wesodlowski, uh, uh, James will be able to correct me on the, the pronunciation of that because he, he writes about him and spells his name a lot more than I do in my job. So, um, it's, uh, it, it's, Va- it's Vasileski because Nigel corrected me a couple of occasions. Yeah, um, you know, he looks a, a brilliant acquisition. Uh, 33, sometimes, you know, eyebrows can be raised when you pick up players like that on a free. Uh, came in from Anderlecht over the summer when his contract expired and he he looks at a good centre-back and he'll be another great role model as well for Liam Moore I know I've spoken about him a few times on the, the pod Liam Moore a very promising youngster who's actually been shifted to right back now because of Richard Delat's uh, injury uh, or series of injuries over the last couple of weeks so he's playing a, a, a position that he's not been playing for the majority of the season but that's just kind of it, it's made the back line stronger I think um, he's not a natural fullback Liam Moore he doesn't quite have the the, the natural capabilities of Richard Delart he, he's a bit more built for central defence I think but he's turned his hand to it brilliantly it just shows how adaptable he is and the likes of Jeffrey Slough as well being able to slot in at left back because 
that was one of the key decisions that we made in the in the playoffs last year to have him up against uh, Anya on the on, on the wing to try and nullify his pace. We kind of dropped Konchesky and had um, had slot there and. Those tactical decisions were, were made again on Saturday, either enforced or uh, or tactically, and it, it came off. Well, James, I was going to say, I mean, a lot has been made about Leicester going forward and the, the goals you've scored this season and David Nugent and Vardy and, and Dyer and so on. Um, but defensively, what have you made of the uh, the way it's uh, shaped up this season so far? Uh, it's been it's been a bit of an odd one, really, because Nigel Pearson, is, he's said it a, a lot in the recent weeks, is that he, he, he wants the team to keep more clean sheets and his managerial style tends to mirror the kind of player that he was a good old fashioned centre half likes to build from the back and, and and use that as a platform to then go forward and in recent week um, oh, it's the first clean sheet in, in 10 games which uh, has been quite surprising really but I, I agree with the point that Jim said is that Vasilevsky does look like a, a, a top signing and what yeah he, he may be over 30 but I think that I think signing those players that are over 30 is something that has been a key difference this year than to, to what it was last year and something that is one of the reasons I think why Leicester are doing better this season so far than than they did say at the end of last season because last season Leicester had the third youngest squad in the, in the whole football league and, and young players are by their nature are inconsistent so they will have dips in form and we saw last season that once they did that they, they didn't have the necessary experience to, to, to get over it. Where, whereas this season, the players are a year older and have learned from their experiences. But also, the, the players that, that Nigel has brought in to offset that youth experience there are players that like Dean Hammond and Vasilevsky and Garrity Fletcher, who are over 13, who have been there and who have done it, and so are able to, to uh, pass on that experience and use that experience and know how in games to... To, to grind out results, shall we say. Can I just say what a difference six months makes as well? Because if someone had said six months ago that Nigel Pearson was being linked with other jobs, you'd have thought because you know he was being sacked or about to be given the boot. And now, um, obviously, the rumours about Chris Hewton at Norwich, potentially uh, Jim being in a bit of trouble and people linking Pearson. And now I imagine Leicester fans just wouldn't want him to go anywhere. No, I, I mean, I've, I was very much of the opinion that I thought he would go, but I, I didn't necessarily agree that he should have gone mostly because there's been a lot of change at Leicester in the last kind of decade or so. We've not really had a period of stability since Martin O'Neill left way back when, you know, when the, the glory days as I remember them of, of Leicester. And we needed someone, especially this year with the financial fair play. And, and James obviously will probably know a lot more about this. He's looked at the finances, I would imagine, or that the Leicester Mercury have on several occasions and, and Radio Leicester guys. We've got to balance the books and we had a huge wages to turnover ratio last year. It's really important that we cut down the squad and Nigel was the best person for that because he's brought in a lot of these players. All right, he inherited a lot legacy-wise from, from Sven and, and managers before them on huge wages, but he's gone through and he's he's got rid of the likes of Neil Dans and Jermaine Beckford and people like that who are on big wages. And, uh, you know, we, we I'm sure we still have quite high uh, wages to turnover ratio but he's cut his cloth for Gordon Lee and he's put faith in the younger players Liam Moore Jeffrey Schlub uh, Tom Hopper was on the bench uh, on Saturday because of Jamie Vardy's injury so you know there's every chance that he could start getting some starts uh, or, or at least some game time the season goes on because it is a long hard season and the, the season has started well but it doesn't necessarily mean that we will have a wobble at some point, I'm sure. Um, hopefully just not as long of a wobble as last season, which basically equated to January onwards. Uh, more of a more much, free yeah. fall than a wobble. James, is, is Jim right in, in what he says there about sort of re- reorganising the squad uh, to sort of meet financial fair play? Yeah, definitely. It, 
Nigel is the kind of manager that that you would want if you are looking to build with on a on a limited budget. Leicester don't have a limited budget because, in the sense that their owners are are billionaires, but with financial fair play coming in, and it's something that, that is, is only just coming to the fore. But we understand it's something that clubs have known about for the past few, for the past couple of seasons, and probably is one of the reasons why Nigel was brought in. But he has he has done that, and if you look at the squad that they've got now, we did a we did a piece in the Mercury a couple of weeks ago, looking at all the players that have since departed since Sven, Sven's been or was at the club, and it, the list is it's almost endless. And off the top of my head, the only the only players of the of the Sven era that are still regular first team players in the squad are are Casper and Konchesky and Nugent. I'm pretty sure that they are the only three that are really. Yeah, I think that's the only three, isn't it? Um, Yeah, the the wage bill is is still a problem. They've got to cut 20-odd million off the wage bill, which is a catastrophic figure for the championship. But there's still players like like Konczewski, who is, I think, the the club's biggest earner, and even players like Lloyd Dyer and, and Paul Gallagher, who's just gone on loan to Preston. These are all players that signed new contracts under Sven and signed long contracts under Sven. Well, what's the situation with contracts now? Because I gather that they're not going to sort of offer contracts to players just yet, are they? Um, No, they're not. There are talks happening. So, for example, Morgan, Wes Morgan, he came out and did a piece of this the other week saying that that he has been, there have been talks about a new contract but there hasn't been one laid in place and it's quite worrying for a Leicester City fan to, to know that 11 of their players um, are out of contract in the season, as is Nigel Pearson. And as yet, no new deals being signed. And when it comes to January, other clubs can approach their players and they can sign pre-agreements to sign. So it's potentially could be quite a, a worrying time. I think what they're doing is waiting until January, seeing where they are, and then perhaps we will see some contracts being signed. Jim, let's move this on a bit and talk about uh, the season going forward. Uh, Nottingham Forest, just down the road there, have lost their last two games and they come to the KP on Saturday. Yeah, it's a huge game. And um, I'm, I, for one, am really happy. Uh, I'm sure James will agree with this, the fact that they've left it as a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. Um, because a lot of our big uh, particularly last season, we're kind of butchered. Our schedule was horrific, and obviously, working and living in London, it's difficult to, to get back to games that are on a Friday night. You know, at seven forty-five kickoff. Well, Sky moved um, a couple more did, today, haven't they? Well, yeah, they have, yeah. and I did tweet about this today, and it, it does seem to kind of be going that way. But thanks for this game alone, which is is great because I think it'll improve the atmosphere for both sides. We'll get more people through the gate, and you know, we are still, uh, you know, even in our best attendances, I think uh, are in the region of like twenty-four, twenty-five thousand in a thirty-two and a half thousand seat stadium. So. We're not we're not full to brim by capacity, so it's going to be hopefully a really good like cauldron like atmosphere because both teams are going in for promotion this year. Both got a kind of a, a point to prove, especially with Forest losing their last two. They don't need to bounce back, and that inherent rivalry will always be there. And they so, want to get one over on you for the uh, the last day of last season as well. Yeah, exactly. And I mean that adds another caveat to it. You know, James, as he said, it's a it's a headline writer's dream when stuff like that happens and it throws up these kind of last gasp would you believe it moments that are kind of going to go down in, in folklore that Leicester pipped Forest to the, the you know the final promotion spot with a 
Anthony knock out a goal in, in, in front of our fans um, in, the, in the 92nd minute or whatever after being a goal down at one point as well so it's going to be a very interesting game but we're, we're supremely confident I think and there's that buzz around the side after winning yeah. eight in a row at, at home so we, we've got no reason to be scared of that team and we just need to go out and play our stuff and I think if we do we'll get a win Confidence is obviously very high uh, uh, looking at uh, the uh, the table at the moment uh, as it stands uh, Burnley are top uh, they lead with 33 Leicester on 32 and everyone recognises is James that QPR are going to be very strong as well uh, do you think that QPR are going to be in one of those top two places and if so um, it all depends on getting the other one doesn't it yeah at the minute it's difficult to see QPR you'd put, if you had to put your money on it you'd, you'd say that they would be occupying one of the two automatic spots Burnley are obviously flying at the minute the question mark over that is whether they can maintain it but with QPR they're just churning out results they kept eight clean sheets in a row that is some precedented really and they I think will be in one of the top two positions it's basically a case now of who can maintain that, that form throughout the rest of the season Nigel is, has even though City are flying at the minute he has made the point on a number of occasions he keeps dropping in into his replies to questions that there will be a dip there will be a dip at, at some point there will be a dip but, we're, but we are more adept at being able to deal with it this year Jim, how about this for a week in December, starting on Saturday the 14th, 12.15, Leicester against Burnley. Then on the Tuesday night, Leicester against Manchester City in the quarterfinal of the League Cup. And then the following Saturday at Loftus Road, QPR against Leicester. That could be quite a big week. It's going to be a huge week, isn't it? Um, the, I think one of the key things that we need to mention here when we're talking about Leicester, and obviously people might not necessarily know this, is that you know, our, our League Cup games haven't been televised. We're still making quite a lot of changes to our team going into these League Cup games. Nigel is kind of staying true to his word that promotion is the, the key aim. And I think there's a lot of focus at this time of year if teams from the Championship or below kind of make it to this level that they, you know, they put a lot of pressure on teams to try and make it this cut run and kind of this this fancy dream of getting to to Wembley. But uh, we made five changes, I think it was, against Fulham. Granted, they made nine, but they're a Premier League team. So you'd kind of expect that. And we still came out on top. They're not in brilliant form at the moment, but to beat a Premier League team, even with five changes, is a fantastic result. So it will be interesting to see what kind of team Nigel names against Manchester City. I think he will stay true to his guns. He will make some changes. I probably expect in the region of four or five changes from the... The, uh, the Burnley game so it, it will be it's not going to be a, a, a season defining week but it's certainly going to be a very very big one for Leicester fans and James Leicester have got history in the League Cup as well it'd be great to see them go uh, one step further than this get to a semi-final maybe a final yeah they do I mean uh, the stars do seem to be lying the last time Leicester beat Fulham in, in the League Cup was when they went on to win it in 2000 so that's not a bad omen the, the thing with it's difficult nowadays because fans love Cup runs and they love the the romance of the cup and it's always a chance of getting of getting silverware. But it is difficult to balance that with the main aim, which is which is promotion. I, I think Jim Riley will he, he will make changes. He, he said he made five for the Fulham game and he made off the top of my head nine or eight for the the Derby game. Um, but the, the the thing that he stressed in the build up to the Fulham game was that as much as he's making as he made changes, it wasn't a case of weakening the side, which which I think was true against Fulham. The side, even though there was five changes, the side didn't look fragmented like it did against Derby. The first half against Derby was was, was woeful, if we're being honest. But the Fulham game, even the, the changes, they worked, and the team still played and passed the ball around confidently as though these, those players had been playing together week in, week out. But I think that ultimately comes with 
the team spirit they've got there, the form that they're in, the home form, Fortress King Power. If he makes five changes for the Man City game, I don't really think you could. that, that would be a weak inside. Well, it's certainly looking good for this season as things stand. Thank you both for coming on. Uh, Jim, we'll see you next week. We'll uh, let you get back to Brighton Pier. Uh, thank you, mate. I'll see you next week. Cheers, Jim. And uh, James, thanks very much for coming on. No problem at all. I no, imagine you're pleasure. enjoying covering this Leicester side. I am. I'm. I'm loving it. It's as as a journalist, obviously, I'm I'm, I'm impartial, but I am. I'm a Leicester fan, um, and I've grown up supporting them. So, yeah, it's 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 a it's a dream for me being able to watch the, the team that I've grown up watching uh, week in week out. It's it's quite a good job. Very understated. Thanks, James. That's James Sharp, sports writer at the Leicester Mercury, and our very own Jim Knight. Right now, we're going to switch our attention from the top of the Championship to the bottom of League Two and talk some Northampton. So all is really not well down at Sixfields. Northampton Town so close to a glorious promotion five months ago now find themselves propping up the Football League after a 1-0 defeat at Plymouth on Saturday. AD Beaveroid's side have now won just twice in League Two all season and Saturday's loss was also the fourth time that they've lost in injury time after late defeats to York, Exeter and Rochdale. Jefferson Lake is a football writer for the Northampton Chronicle and Echo and a freelancer for the BBC and Sky. Guy Sports, and I'm pleased to say uh, that Jefferson is on the line to speak to me right now. Jefferson, you were there at Home Park at the weekend. Uh, this is beginning to get a little bit like Groundhog Day, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it is, albeit in you know slightly different venues. Sort of got to about uh, 10 minutes to go on Saturday, and a, a guy who was also from Northampton who was with me uh, in the press box. Sort of, uh, we looked at one another on Saturday and sort of thought, Oh dear, it's you know it wasn't as though Plymouth were having sort of wave after wave of pressure or whatever, but there was sort of a grim inevitability about it when um, when they did score. And it's yeah, it's, I mean, if it happens once or twice, I mean you you always get one or two in a season, and it's sort of you know any more than that is is a, it is a very very uh, concerning pattern. I don't think it's a fitness thing. I think it's purely a mental thing and a concentration thing. But it's happening far too often at the moment for. Um, for AD Booth or not to be enormously concerned about it. I was going to ask about the fitness thing. You just think it's a case yeah. of um, not play, sort of running out of energy or anything, nothing to do with the training. It's just on the day that they just can't quite keep it together when they're coming under late pressure. Yeah, I think it is re- uh, really a concentration thing. Um, although having said that on Saturday, he noticed that he didn't make any substitutions in the game at all. Now, I guess that was because uh, he was happy with how they played and you know his post-match uh, interview bore that out he said he was happy for 85 minutes but they switched off uh, in the last five they're sort of all different kinds of goals as well they concede in, the, in these periods the losses to Rochdale and Exeter were both kind of counter-attack goals uh, whereas uh, the, the one on Saturday was where the defence was set and that sort of Plymouth actually put a good little passing move together and, and you know like a a midfield runner went and wasn't tracked and they threaded the ball through and he took the goal really well. So it's the, the fact that they're all different types of goals makes me think that it's perhaps not necessarily uh, a fitness thing. It's more a concentration and a mental thing. OK, well, let's let's um, take stock of uh, Eddie Bouverod's time there because that was his 100th game in charge on yeah. Saturday. Uh, he came in just under two years ago, kept the club in the Football League uh, in his first season, got to the playoff final in the brink of promotion last season. I guess the obvious question for fans looking at it from the outside, like me, is what on earth has gone wrong? Well, they made a lot of changes in the summer. You know, several people think that 
too many changes were made in the summer. Um, I think 11 players left and 11 arrived, um, which is fairly standard for you know for League Two. You quite often get these vast turnovers of players, but the team wasn't far away last year, um, and it only sort of needed perhaps a little bit of minor surgery here and there. Um, obviously, there were a couple of things that were out of his control. Clark Carlisle retired. Lee Nichols, who was the goalkeeper last season, who was uh, only on a season loan from Wigan, went back to Wigan. He was an excellent player. Top goalscorer, uh, Adebayoak in Femwa, left. He was sort of one of the bigger earners. And, and there was, I think there was sort of a, a will to get him off the off the wage books, uh, even before the season finished. And I'm not sure that he and Eddie Booth always saw eye to eye, but that's a different conversation from that day. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just perhaps a bit too much was done over the summer. I think there was... Um, Perhaps a realization with the playoff game that um, their style last season, which was a very direct style, very much based around set piece uh, quality at both ends and uh, a long throw, would only get them so far. And it did sort of see them through in some games. There were games last season at home where they had a fantastic record, but they would win games because they'd score from a long throw in. Uh, and I thought, I think when they, there was kind of a, although it's never been said, I think there's sort of a, an implication that when they got to that big final with Bradford who were Vegas side that that kind of football wasn't going to be enough that they needed to be able to play a bit more football and, a, and a, have a few different sort of options and a bit more about them to be able to actually move on to the next level so it's, um, it's not just the personnel then it's also the style of play that yeah, he's tried to change yeah I mean obviously with that there has been substantial teething problems but they're, they're I mean the guy with the long throw Ben Toza doesn't really get a look in at the minute they only play with one striker now. There's well, not, the, was, not a big target. Now. I was going to ask you about that because I've, I've read quite a lot of tweets from Northampton fans saying that they feel they're playing one up front a lot and they're inviting pressure onto them, which might be perhaps a reason why they're conceding so many late goals. Yeah, I think with with that, I think um, there's two things there is that most of their strikers are injured and also um, because they're in such a bad situation, I think they are very defensive away from home, especially, you know, of the sort of have the view that if they can get a point from the game then that's then that's a good return for where they are at the moment of course that does lend itself to the other team having a lot of the ball uh, and that was the downfall at certainly at Rochdale and, and Plymouth Just looking at the uh, the team that played against Bradford then at Wembley you mentioned yeah. uh, Lee Nichols. also obviously you mentioned Clark Carlisle and uh, Akin Fenwar also I make it um, Luke Guttridge as well Ben Harding that's five yeah. of the team who played at Wembley who were all not, not at the club and presumably these are all obviously Boothroyd signings he's had time he's had money to spend I think um, yeah. some fans think he's had quite a good budget for a, a League 2 club uh, presumably he doesn't really have any, any excuses at this point No the, the budget is is healthy of those players, just to clear up, those other two, Guttridge and Harding, were both offered contracts, but I, from my understanding, not on what they were on. And I think they were a bit miffed. I mean, I've not spoken to them, but I would imagine you would be, you know, if you play your part in getting a team to sixth in the league in a playoff final, to then be given essentially a pay cut to stay, didn't sit too well with them. And they've both since. Well, Guttridge on. scored that goal in the semi final, which got them to win. Goal, yeah, yeah, brilliant goal. And I mean, he was sort of in and out a little bit in the second half of the season, but they were noticeably better when he played. And that was sort of one of the ones that I would really, uh, I would query from the from the summer. I mean, all the others you can kind of make a case for it to an extent, but Guttridge was one that perhaps they could have kept hold of him for a bit longer. I think because of his age, I think he's 31, 32, they wanted someone who could progress with the club. But I think he would still have been a good 
a good option for another year or even two years, really. So in terms of the players that have come in then, who are sort of the, the big ones that haven't worked so far? Well, I think the one that, that a lot of people will say that I've been uh, disappointed with mainly so far is probably Darren Carter. Came to the club from uh, Cheltenham. He was released by Cheltenham and they signed him on a two-year deal. To, to, to sort of some fanfare, really. I mean, he was arguably there. Their marquee signing of the summer. Well, he's, he's ex um, Birmingham, isn't he? In yeah, West Birmingham, Brom. West Brom. You know, he's played at a good level, good pedigree, you know, and ticks all the boxes for Boothroyd because he's six foot two, he's got a left foot, he's a good engine, you know, a good athlete. And I think, you know, him coming kind of cushioned the blow of losing um, certainly Harding and probably Guthridge to an extent as well. But he's, I mean, it's a little harsh to say this, but he's done almost nothing. Um, <laughs> It's one of those where, you know, they were, with them playing the system now with one up front, he was kind of playing as the furthest midfielder forward, almost as a 10, really. And he was doing quite well with that. But still, I mean, his influence on games is nowhere near what people thought it would be. Uh, and, you know, speaking to a few Cheltenham fans, they sort of thought that he'd done well for them last season and was unlucky not to be in their side. But, um, yeah, at the moment, he's not not lived up to that billing at all now uh, DC would usually be sat in the seat opposite me is a, a Watford fan and he always goes on about Beaverhoid's time at Watford and how he played direct football there was very successful did the majority of fans last season when they were doing well want to see the style of play changed or is this something he sort of uh, made the decision over the summer that he's going to do this because right now I'm sure that they would take the direct style for a few more wins yeah definitely I think it, with um, with Northampton fans and probably the case with, with any football fans I think as long as the team's winning I don't really care. Um, the problem with that last season was that it was just completely effective at home. Uh, they had the best or the second best home record in the division, but was a complete failure away from home. They had either the worst or the second worst away record last season. So it kind of only worked to a point. Now, I think as well as the fans, you know, not being happy with uh, what we were being happy with that, uh, the direct style, I think the Boothroy perhaps wasn't necessarily happy with it. I think he's quite sensitive to that being branded as a, you know, a long a, a sort of a purveyor of the long ball game. Perhaps sort of a little bit damaging to him from an ego point of view. Perhaps that people keep saying that about him. And he wanted, I think, this season he wanted to prove that he could put a team together that can go both ways. But I think at the moment, I mean. Well, does he still have the support? Take wins over, over well, I was going to say, does he still have the support of the majority of fans there? Or I mean, I noticed he got given the dreaded vote of confidence, didn't he, by the chairman last week? Yeah, although I would say that was more, um, you know, knowing the, knowing the chairman reasonably well, I would say that was a, a vote of confidence in its traditional meaning of an actual okay. vote of confidence rather than the, <laughs> the one that normally arrives a week or two before the sack. Um, he, has, he has his detractors, certainly, among the fans. There is a... There is a quite a vocal uh, minority of supporters, which is growing with every bad result, as it obviously will. There's been no chanting against him as yet, but there has been sort of boos at half-times and full-times of games when they've been behind and haven't played well. So there is some some dissent there. Um, but I would say he's still just about, you know, it's probably 60-40 split, maybe something like that in his favour. Okay. So it's close and it's and it's the tide is turning against him with the poor run they're on. Well, um, one thing that's got, got a tendency to, to finish off a struggling manager is a, a cup upset. And yeah, um, on yeah. Sunday, Northampton are away at Bishop Stortford in the FA Cup first round. It's yeah. live on ITV. Um, Bishop Stortford play in the uh, the Conference South, which is the sixth tier, I believe. Obviously, obviously, ITV have got this game for telly. They smell a giant killing. Yeah, Could there yeah. be one? Well, yeah, completely. I mean, it's it's got all the ingredients. It's kind of the perfect storm, really, to the point where some people are even saying 
uh, Bishop Salford win would be going with form. I mean, they're third in their division, uh, which suggests they've won a lot of games. I don't know the exact figure, but Northampton have only won twice this season. Uh, if a player Northampton should go there and win, but obviously having the home advantage with uh, with Bishop Stortford and with the form there and the confidence they will have. Northampton are really low confidence at the minute. They're re- a real low ebb in terms of that. Um, it, it, yeah, it could easily be an upset. And, you know, that would be pretty bad um, for, for the club and for Boothroyd. I mean, Bottom of the Football League and out of the FA Cup to a non-league team. First round. Yeah, it's, it's one of them where it's, it actually wouldn't make that much difference in terms of the, the season. Uh, you know they're not going to go and win the FA Cup. Very, very rarely do they even get to the third round and get the, the sort of the glamour high. But in terms of sort of a PR exercise, it would be awful. It would be, you know, especially being on national TV and stuff. Well, uh, and it certainly wouldn't do him any favours. Everyone listening to this will get to see them on the telly on uh, Sunday. Yeah. Now, enjoy um, that feature. <laughs> now, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Jefferson, I noticed that um, the club announced plans for the redevelopment of six fields, um, an increased capacity, more corporate boxes, more seats, supporters bar, a gym. Uh, planning application's been submitted and £12 million loan from the council. Given that the league position and where Northampton could be playing, i.e. what division they could be playing in next season if it carries on like this. Is this such a good idea, do you think? It's been going on for so long that I don't think that they would um, they would, you know, consider it, uh, sort of postponing it or, or cancelling it or anything like that. I think it would be, uh, it's, it's, it's a massive uh, step forward for the club in terms of the long-term development and progress of the football club. They moved to six years from the county ground in 94 and, uh, that was seen as a major step forward in terms of doubling the attendance, bringing in a lot more people to a m- much nicer uh, environment to watch football. And this would be the next step on that on that path. It would be huge for the club. It would enable them to bring in a lot more money uh, through corporate hospitality, which they don't have a facility for now at all, really. Jefferson, just wanted to ask a couple more questions. One, compared to a couple of years ago when uh, Gary Johnson left and mm. Bouveroy came in, how do you compare the situation the club were in then to now, are they stronger? Or, you know, have they got a stronger squad now? Have they got a weaker squad? Yeah. What are their chances of, of staying up? It's a funny one because although they were, they are now lower in the league table and probably having worse results. Squad for squad, perhaps there's not a lot in it. I mean, there's a lot of players injured at the minute. When those players are back, that would make a big difference. Johnson didn't necessarily have the injuries, but away from uh, you know results and and actual sort of tangibles. Uh, the situations are enormously different. I hate the cliche "lost the dressing room" um, because I'm not sure it ever really happens. But if I've been doing this job for nine years now, and if there's a manager who has not been supported entirely by his players, then it was probably Johnson in that time. Uh, and I'm not getting that with with Boothroyd. I think everyone is still, uh, you know, all the players are still playing for him. With Johnson, there were lots and lots of off-field issues, not just with with players but with staff you know the general atmosphere around the club was very bad and I think they were sort of um, only headed in one direction at that, at that point and they would have yeah they would have probably gone down if it stayed and I suppose a very frustrating fact must be for Northampton fans that there is one team on fire at Sixfields this season playing yeah. brilliant attacking football and scoring loads of goals but it's not Northampton no it's uh, yeah obviously I, I went to the first commentary game uh, and did a sort of a feature on it for the paper. I haven't seen them since, but um, yeah, they were excellent. The first game they beat Bristol City, I think it was 5-4. Yeah, what a game that was. It was a brilliant game. Best game I've seen a 6 foot for years. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, you know, they're a fantastic attacking team. Stephen Presley is, is 
a manager who, uh, I think, is really sort of destined for better things um, in the in the future. Yeah, they looked a really good side. I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure they've started stealing Northampton fans just yet. But, um, <laughs> I know there are a few sort of old boys that go over there because it's quite. Yeah. I think it's only sort of 10, 10 or twelve quid to go in on a Sunday. So I two games one weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get a double in. So yeah, it's a, but um, yeah, that's a that's a strange one. But I think certainly Northampton as a club are happy with it. I know some of their fans are, and obviously the Coventry fans aren't happy. But um, this is football, isn't it? It is. All right. Cheers for coming on, Jefferson. We appreciate yeah, no that. Problem. Let's Any hope it turns time. around for all the uh, Northampton fans' sake. That is Jefferson Lake, football writer for the Northampton Chronicle and Echo, and a freelancer for the BBC and Sky Sports. Next, then, it's time for the latest in our My Club series. Remember, we're giving fans of all football league sides 125 seconds to tell us about their club, all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And today, it's all about Wolverhampton Wanderers. This is We Are Going Up, my club in 125 seconds. Hello, I'm Graham Large and my club is Wolverhampton Wanderers. So Graham, can you remember your first ever game at Molyneux? Vaguely. Um, it was <laughs> November the 10th, 1990. Come on, it can't be vaguely if you remember the exact date. <laughs> it was my sixth birthday. I see, I see. And who was it against? Uh, Wolves beat Newcastle United 2-1 oh, at home What a start and uh, in terms of all the, the big Wolves games at Molyneux obviously you've had Premier League games and uh, big promotion deciders what, what's the one that would stick in your head? Probably in the 2010-2011 season when we ended Manchester United's and beat and run winning 2-1 at Molyneux George Ellicobi grabbed the first goal and he arguably grabbed the second one even though it was actually given to Kevin Doyle by the dubious goals committee <laughs> uh, the, the damn dubious goals committee now uh, Kevin Doyle's still there I noticed scored at the weekend um, how are you finding life under Kenny Jacket? it's been positive it's obviously been a big transformation with a few big name players leaving in the summer we've lost the likes of Carl Henry and Stephen Ward's Sylvan Ebanks, Blake, Stephen Hunt, players along those lines. But we've managed to bring in a few of the few of the younger players, such as Jack Price and Lee Evans, into the fold. Uh, Danny Bartson playing an increasingly big role at the uh, heart of our defence, and also we've brought Lee Griffiths back from an extended spell at Hibernian, and he's been scoring for fun this season. So it's all going well at the moment, but I know that in your time supporting Wolves you will have had some low moments what's the uh, the worst ever moment you've had as a Wolves fan you can pretty much take <laughs> your pick from 46 games from last season to be honest but I don't think they got much lower than the home game against Burnley last season when we lost 2-1 couple of quick fire ones to end your favourite ever Wolves goal Alex Ray against Bolton in the Premier League 40 yard volley and the worst manager who's managed Wolves in your time supporting the club Either Terry Connor or Dean Saunders. I couldn't pick the spin of them. <laughs> You've had a few, haven't you? Graeme, your time is up. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. Right, so we'll have another one of those on the show next week. Right now, it's time to do our weekend review. Now, uh, it's just me, obviously, in the studio this week. But uh, I have got uh, old David Cameron Walker on the line, direct from the Football Manager Quiz, which I believe is just about to start. Hello. Hello. Uh, so um, we've had... Uh, uh, nice of you to come on, by the way. Well, so I paint the picture? I'm currently standing outside the Nando's, uh, which is on the Clink Street. 
just opposite the te- uh, over the over the uh, the Thames from St Paul's. I'm looking at St Paul's in all its resplendent glory. Oh, lovely. Well, I was saying to uh, Jim and James earlier. Well, I said to Jim, sort of uh, mainly, that uh, funny that you should uh, take a week off after that result of the weekend. Uh, Watford <laughs> nil, Leicester three. Let's get your verdict. We've uh, had them uh, talking about uh, Leicester earlier in the show from a Watford perspective. It's not really going to plan this season, is it? Well, what goes around comes around, I suppose, mm. in the minds of the Leicester fans. Um, we, we set ourselves up for it, really, because, as you can expect, all the attention before the game was from Sky and also, unfortunately, from Watford inside the ground was on that game last season. They were showing the clips of the uh, of the Sky Sports News report of Deeney's goal. They were showing the Watford commentary of that on the big screen. Harry the Hornet, our mascot, reenacted the whole thing. <laughs> One man show, which was wonderful. But it was all like, you know, let's think about that goal last season. And that's all the motivation Leicester needed. They came out the blocks quicker than us, no better than us for more than 90 minutes. What could Zola have done differently? Well, I mean, obviously the first goal didn't help. Almunia punting it straight into the face of Chris Wood um, obviously puts you on the back foot straight away. But it, what could he have done differently? It's, it's, it's not as simple as that, really. I think he, he, has, he is a bit hamstrung at the moment by the fact that we're missing key players from, from last season. There's been a lot of focus from Watford fans on the moment, the fact that Alman Abdi, our player of the season last year, has been injured. There's no sign of him coming back anytime soon. He's got a mysterious injury. They don't really know what's going on with him. They don't know when he's going to come back. He was a linchpin of our midfield last season. He linked the play very well. He got goals. He set up goals. He's missing, and that's a big problem. We haven't got Nathaniel Shalabar. He, he went back to Chelsea since gone on to Nottingham Forest. The replacements for him this season haven't been good enough. We don't have Matej Vidra from last season. He was a crucial player for us, particularly in that mid-season period where we went on that big run and really got ourselves into the promotion picture. He could run past players. He could run in behind defence. He could stretch defences. We don't have anyone else with his pace. Dini, who was superb for us last season, isn't. Uh, playing at his best this evening. He's been injured. He's had a couple of games out. He's still trying to get back to full fitness, but he's not the player at the moment that he was last season. We haven't played, uh, you know, we've hardly had two games in a row where we've played in the same back three, which is, you know, and that's, you, you've been you've been able to see that, particularly in the game against Derby a few weeks ago. We lost 3-2 at home. They were just like, like strangers. Um, so there's a lot of things going wrong at the moment. We're, we're not as good as last season, despite me thinking that we would have been at the start of the season. Some of the players that we came in with good pedigree haven't quite been up to it. Someone like Diego Fabrini has shown it in fits and starts, but not consistently. Forestier, he's having a good season, but he can't do it all on his own. You know, Josh McEachran looks good in loan, on loan from Chelsea, but you know we miss the combative nature of, of Jonathan Hogg. We let Eustace go in the summer. There's, so there's a you know, real you know, collection of things that are all going wrong for Watford at the moment. But despite all that, we're still not a million miles away no. from the promotion pitch. We're still seven, only one point off the playoffs. We're ten points away now from, from second place, which does seem a, a big gap even at this stage of the season. And uh, you're knocking that stand down, aren't you? Interesting camera view on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I laughs> That's know. not the rookery um, end, is it? No, the rookery oh, end thank is God not. For that. The rookery end is behind the goal. Right, I see. Um, but that stand, and that's the stand that I watched my first ever game of live football in. So it does have some good memories for me and for many people, but it's been there since back in the 1920s or something ridiculous like okay. that. It's been there forever. Uh, it's been condemned for the last four years. It had to be knocked down. So that's the one bit of good news is that's being knocked down and we'll have a new stand up there before the end of the season. Down the bottom of the championship, Sheffield Wednesday got their first win of the season. Yeah, of course they did. They, they, were, were, the o- <laughs> they were the only club uh, yet to, um, I'll tell you what, if that, you think that's a bad bet. I had, in one of my accumulators, I had uh, Stoke Southampton to be nil nil. I was over in 13 seconds. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, she- <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday beating Reading 5-2 and uh, using the loan system, Dave Jones, Connor Wickham's come in from Sunderland for his second loan That's spell right, there well. and Matty Fry from Hull and they mm. both scored. Uh, Matt Fry got a couple actually, linked up well, so it shows the loan system can work in that situation. Of course it can. I mean, and, and you use it to 
a good effect there. And you know, there will be certain people that will question the loan system and say whether it is good for a club like Sheffield Wednesday in the long term. But at the end of the day, if it helps him get points and drag him away from the relegation battle, then that's all they're concerned about at the moment. You know, Connor Wickham is a player that went, you know, got his big move to Sunderland and hasn't really worked out for him. And I, I saw um, saw Adam Williams on Twitter questioning the fact that why, why Ipswich haven't perhaps tried to get him back. Good point. Uh, on maybe, maybe they have. Maybe Sheffield Wednesday can pay a bit more money. I'm not sure, but Matty Fry as well was a player with a, with a point to prove. And, you know, they needed something, didn't they? And those two players have come good for them. But I mean, how long are they going to be there? They're going to be able to extend the loans when they run out. And, you know, it does it does pose some questions about the long-term future of, of Sheffield Wednesday, a club like them that's trying to move on. But I suppose the situation that they're in, safety is all that matters at the moment, and they're going to help them, certainly. Forest nil, Blackpool won. Uh, Forest have lost two in a row. Mm. Blackpool, though, might just want to keep Paul Ince in the, that sort of BBC studio watching the feed because <laughs> I think there's seven games unbeaten now. And it's that yeah, when Stephen Dobby, you scored the winner. Alex Ray's doing a find of Stephen Dobby as well, a remarkable player he is. Like, he just never seems to find a, a real home, does he? He gets, you know, he was at Brighton, got on loan to Palace, and then when, you know, then Palace signed him permanently in in the uh, in the summer. But they signed him permanently in the summer, and then didn't include him in their 25-man squad for the Premier League, which is absolutely crazy. You know, he's pitched back up at Blackpool, club he's been at before. He's been all over the place. Been at Swansea, scored goals in playoff finals. You know, so hopefully for his sake, I think hopefully he can settle at Blackpool and certainly can help them try and continue their impressive start. I and mean, them and Burnley are two clubs that I thought would be nowhere near the promotion picture. You know, I, I had a, a very low opinion of Paul Ince as a manager before this, you know, before the start of this season. Didn't think he was going to be the right man to, to really lead Blackpool to any sort of success this season, but fair play to him, even though he's not there at the minute, doing a fine job. He is. Uh, great goals in the Championship this weekend from Jason Lowe for Blackburn. That was an absolute thunderbolt against Middlesbrough. Jake Forster, a Caskey as well for Brighton at Doncaster. Birmingham in the relegation zone, which is really strange considering they pushed Stoke all the way, didn't they, um, in midweek in the Capital One Cup, but they had down, now down in the uh, the bottom three. One of the teams who could be replacing them if they do go down is Leighton Orient DC, who won the big game in League One, 3-1 away at Peterborough. Um, I don't know if you've seen the goals. A couple of absolute brilliant goals from David Mooney, um, who I think now is joint top scorer. And I think I worked out, let me find the thing, I worked out if the, uh, Leighton Orient can continue to go at this pace, they will end the season with 116 points. Wow. Well, they're the Orient Express, aren't they, I suppose? They I mean, are. Uh, to beat Peterborough, is a real statement. I saw Barry Hearn tweeting after the game. You know, we won't we won't uh, let our feet kind of come off the ground, but we'll, we'll we'll keep our feet on the ground rather. And um, but we are now real genuine contenders for promotion. That that result shows that we're not you know a flash in the pan. We're not just some team that's had a good run of results at the start of the season that's going to crumble. We are the real deal. And you know, we've proved to ourselves in the division and to the country that we're good enough. We've now got to keep it going, and they're banging the race for promotion. But you know, Peterborough losing, it's a real disappointment for them. Wolves are still there. And also, I think I'd keep an eye on Brentford as well. They put behind that little sticky patch, haven't they, at the start of the season? One four in a row now, Brentford. One four in a row, away win at Crawley at the weekend. They're only, I think, five points behind uh, second place now. So plenty of time for them, and I think they'll certainly be, uh, you know, have something to say in the promotion race come the end of the season. Well, if Wolves beat Carlisle in their game in hand tomorrow, they'll go joint top with Orient. So it shows they've kind of uh, yeah. gone perhaps a little bit under the radar so far this season. Coventry certainly haven't. They beat uh, Notts County three 0 Danny Haynes right. sent off earlier on, and uh, two goals from Leon Clark and one from Callum Wilson. They've both scored eleven each already, and uh, at the start of November, I bet there's there's plenty of teams who've not scored that many goals combined so far this season. Yeah, superb. I mean. I sort of jokingly said when when they were ejected from when they left the Rico at the start of the season that maybe this would be the, the thing they need to spur them on to success, and I firmly believe it is. It's a prediction you've got right, isn't it? Might, well, <laughs> few and far between. Yeah. <laughs> I still see some commentary fans sort of saying they want to go back and they want to get the club sorted out. Obviously, they do, but 
I don't know if it does have anything to do with it, but I think just maybe, maybe it does, and sort of mentality-wise, in terms of the players playing in that big solar speech, came to represent everything that went wrong with Coventry, and this season they had such a you know, such adversity at the start of the season, and they probably just thought, well, we've got nothing to lose, we've got ten points, you know, deduction right, so just go for it, and look at them. I mean, they'd be bang up there, wouldn't they, without the deduction? Absolutely, amazing goal for Joe Jacobson in that division for Shrewsbury, he beat Sheffield yeah. United two 0 down into League Two. Newport lost four one at Fleetwood. Fleetwood have gone top of the table, and I know it's sort of changing hands a lot there. And Chesterfield DC, a team we focused on the show a while back, they've not won in seven games, mm-hmm. and uh, their manager Paul Cook says they've forgotten how to win, which is a bit worrying. Well, that is a problem, isn't it? You do very much need to remember how to win. <laughs> Gary Roberts was supposedly the best player in the division. Uh, you know, they were flying, but now he's completely gone off the rails. And I think, you know, in the same way, perhaps so you look at a club like Leighton Orient, you're speaking about, and you just go on such a run. You can, on the, on the other hand, even if you're perhaps not necessarily playing that badly, if the luck starts going against you and you just, you know, lose a couple of games in a row, it can get into a habit. And then all of a sudden, your confidence is completely and utterly drained, which is what seems to have happened at Chesterfield but you know, since we had Mark Roberts on Fleetwood they've, they've now gone on to, to be top of the league so hopefully that was a good, uh, good omen for him mm. and, and for us uh, Three from uh, Stephen Schumacher on Saturday in that, in that victory yeah. Didn't actually meet time to bury did he? Certainly didn't no uh, not last season anyway uh, Rochdale uh, lost 2 at home to AFC Wimbledon did you see the lightning the thunder and lightning during that game it's unbelievable they, it forced like a power cut they had to go off for 25 minutes but AFC Wimbledon came back to get their only their second away win in their last 14 uh, league games which is a great result and DC we should obviously say uh, best of luck to Joe Thompson uh, the Tramere player who's just been diagnosed course, yeah. hasn't he with, uh, with cancer this week so yeah. uh, best wishes to him going forward I think that's pretty much it well, so, I think I was going to say was um, poor old Eddie Boothroyd well, we've, we've already done this mate you've missed out we had propping, up, propping up the football league we had, mean, this, was a, this was a man that once upon a time uh, when I was travelling down to, to Vicarage Road for a pre-season friendly against Inter Milan, Sky Sports News cameras stopped me and asked me what I thought of, of Eddie Boothford, <laughs> then one of English football's rising stars, and I said it could be the future England manager. <laughs> Well, we've had we've had Jefferson Lake on from the uh, Northampton Chronicle and Echo. So listen back to this podcast, and you'll hear a good twenty minutes there, and me and him chatting all about it. Oh, good. All, all right, right, mate. Enjoy your quiz. Thanks. Good luck. See ya. There he goes. That's David Cameron Walker at the Football Manager Quiz in London. That is pretty much it for the show this week. Got to say, slightly surreal with me just sat here on my own. A reminder that you can get in touch. The Twitter is at Wagyu Podcast, W-A-G-U Podcast. Uh, you can go to the website and read the blogs that are on there. Wearegoingup.co.uk is where you need to go. And if you want to get in touch about any of the guests and stuff you've heard, if you're a lesser or Northampton fan, by all means, uh, do so. And uh, don't forget to take advantage of the Audible offer as well. Audible.co.uk slash go. Going Up is where you need to go to get a free one-month trial of uh, an audiobook. You've over 80,000 to choose from. Uh, that's audible.co.uk slash going up. We are back next week, hopefully more than me, uh, sat here when it is the FA Cup first round. So I'll speak to you in seven days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. <laughs> Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.